We're here for one of the most exciting episodes of the year. It's the iPhone event that just happened. I watched it pretty recently, and so did Sebastian DeWitt, who was here to talk to me about it. How's it going? Great. Yeah, it's good to be here. And so you you were nearby, you're in proximity to it, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I assume watching the stream like I did. And hopefully we had a little bit of time to read a couple blog posts since it ended, because there's always that uh, during watching it that there's all these unanswered questions that take a couple days to really get clarified. But I, I found a bit of insight. I understand it a little better than when I was watching. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What what was your overall emotional impact after watching the event? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty impressed, honestly. I still have a lot of questions. It's a lot to unpack, I feel like. Um, but yeah, it's, I'm, I'm pretty stoked about it, honestly. Yeah. Some cool I, stuff in there. I really had that feeling too of being very excited about certain features that were obvious how I'd use it, but it left all these questions too that I'm like, I think that could be great, but I don't really know <laughs> what it's going to, what it's going <laughs> to turn into. But, um, yeah, the reason I want to talk to you about it is because you are a developer of some of the best iPhone camera apps out there. You and, uh, your, your team work on Spectre and Halide, which are amazing if anybody out there hasn't tried them. And I saw there was a Halide icon on stage today. So congrats for that. Yeah, Inspector too. Both oh, oh, they're both there. there. Oh, that's so great. And uh, yeah, and Halide actually was like right behind Phil, like in the center of the stage. So <laughs> yeah, we were yeah. stoked over here. Yeah, prime <laughs> placement. No, that's so cool. Prime spot. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think this stuff will have a lot of implications for you guys. You don't have to tell me what they are yet, but um, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it because uh, I, th- I think our imaginations can think of a lot of cool things that'll be coming up. But um, I kind of created a, a, an overall list of the whole keynote. Even though obviously the most exciting thing we want to jump to right away is iPhone cameras, let's spend just a couple minutes also going through everything else because I don't I don't want to miss it. Um, there's a few surprises. Let's start with Apple TV Plus. The basics: it's coming November first. It's going to be five ninety nine a month. There'll be a one month trial for everyone, and if you buy a new iPhone, iPad, laptop, or desktop, there is one year trial. And um, the C trailer looks great. All the trailers are looking good. I want to watch it. Same thing I would always say is that they might have a bit of a challenge not having a back catalog in the way that Disney Plus does or Netflix does. But the new shows look good. So hopefully that's enough. Yeah, I could see that being a little little tricky for them. But I think it's nice that they are just going to kind of give a lot of it away for, for free for the first year mm-hmm. just to kind of break into that market and... I'm curious to see what they have up their sleeves as far as like new shows go. Yeah, that one year will really help because there'll be a ton of people that buy a new iPhone. They have the one year and they tell all their friends that they've got to watch C, probably. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and that's the way that they hook people in. But I, I almost wouldn't be surprised if they don't mind a little bit of slower growth because they know that catalog issue is there. And this gives them a chance to kind of ramp up what is available on the surface. But yeah, I mean, I, I want to watch these shows. Uh, I don't know if I want to pick up another 599. I was really hoping to see a bundle price announced, but we we still don't have yeah, the Apple Plus bundle. It made uh it made my News Plus subscription look pretty crazy cuz that's like $10 a month. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and true. If you add like all the other things on top of it, you're like iCloud and News Plus and then two more 499s and, and arcade. Um, yeah, I I didn't yeah. add it all up, but I mean it's got to be like 30 40 depending how much you scale it up, which is a lot to pay per month. And I I can use a little discount on that. And um, yeah, there was also, I actually didn't write down the arcade stuff, but they demoed a lot of games and showed off Apple Arcade. Uh, I don't know. I feel like I got to get my hands on that to say much about it. What I really like is that it seems to open up the doors for some pretty experimental games, give some developers a chance to kind of play around with things that may not be easy to sell in a little icon in the app store, but if people are already getting them for free, are more likely to try it out. So I'm all about just having a few great games on my phone. I don't need a thousand games. I just want to like like a few of them. So this seems right yeah. up my alley. It seems nice that they incentivize towards like quality when a lot of, you know, the, the biggest money makers in the app store have really been these like in-app purchase, um, Farmville style, you know, like games. And they really reward creativity with this, which is neat. I saw there has been some rumor of like a Google Play Pass kind of thing, like the equivalent coming out on Android. And people were wondering maybe if, you know, they 
pay the game developers based on the amount of time spent in the game, which would incentivize uh, kind of yeah. bad game design. Yeah. Uh, but I know that Apple doesn't, Apple doesn't do that, which is nice. So it's not old, like grindy stuff that every developer wants to make sure well, you spend like yeah. hundred hours a week. Playing. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think this is Apple's response to some of those skewed incentives that have led to the app store being where it is. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of the reason they're doing this is to try to correct for it a bit. So hopefully that means they thought about these things and and have ways of, <laughs> of, of making it pan out. I did think it was interesting they demoed the other game, uh, the Pascal's Wager later, which is not a Apple uh, arcade game. So I, I just assumed every game yeah. they showed today would be inside of it, but that was kind of a triple A looking game from a Chinese developer that I mean looked great, but was definitely going to be sold separately. Yeah, that was interesting. Moving along to iPads, there was a new entry-level iPad. Uh, the display goes up from 9.7 to 10.2, has an A10 processor, supports the smart keyboard, and the pencil. But I was, tr- I was trying to remember, the, the previous 9.7 didn't support the pencil. Is that right? Is this the first one? Uh, I think the it? previous one, no, no, I think the previous entry-level one did support the oh, okay. pencil, but it didn't have the smart connector, so you couldn't put a keyboard right. on it. Yeah. yeah, I'm just having a hard time um, tracking all of, there's so many SKUs <laughs> right now that I don't know what all of them Don't get confused with the one. iPad Air, which yeah, oh, looks okay. the same, but is different. Yeah, exactly. So. Well, and it was funny, they, I was trying to judge from what they showed in the keynote was only straight on images. And I kept trying to kind of look at the sides. I'm like, is it at all different? Like, which which bevels are those? What do those belong to? Is it the bevels <laughs> of the Pro or of the same as the, the previous entry level? Um, they, they didn't show it from the side. So it was, <laughs> I assume it's the same old design, but. Yeah. Yeah. It was a little tricky to figure that one out. I also read that apparently the new display, I mean, it's commendable that's a, you know, entry level at a fair price point, but it loses its sRGB color coverage. So it's not oh. classic Apple super high color fidelity screen. Oh, I guess some good. corners had to be cut. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is very reasonably priced. It always surprises me that there's any market out there for other budget tablets at this point when the entry, like, you know, Three twenty nine is a pretty great price, and you're getting an iPad instead of a whatever else exists out there. Um, yeah, I, think, I think it's it's really nice that they're competing at that entry level because a lot, that's where a lot of people are. That's you know they said it on stage; it's their top selling iPad, and obviously for good reasons. So uh, I'm glad they gave it attention. I didn't expect to see it today, but uh, you know it, it's good for everybody that wants one. Yeah, it seems like they're really aggressively going after that market, both trying to inch out like the Chromebooks and the the Android tablets, but also clearly in the in the presentation, like going for the jugular and saying like, oh, if you compare it to a PC laptop, you know, this is the better, cheaper, more performant option. Which I mean, I can't really get any work done on iPads myself, <laughs> yeah, but I guess, same. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, people do; they're out there, uh, so you know, good for them. Um, <laughs> Literally, dozens of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, we're finally at something that I'm very excited about, though, is the Apple Watch. All I've been wanting every year, all I say is that don't give me anything except for an always-on display. I would have traded internet support and GPS and all these (laughs) things they've been adding year after year. All I want is the display to stay on. This is the most important thing, and they couldn't do it until now, and I'm so happy that they did. So uh, this is is the first really must-update Apple Watch year for me. Um, ever maybe <laughs> yeah and how crazy is it that it never leaked like we saw a lot of leaks this year but not even like a hint at an always on display apple watch really yeah, cool yeah. tech that they put in there yeah totally it's a ltpo display and i don't know what those letters mean but it's not oled anymore so curious if it looks the same i mean there's an o in there maybe that is also for oled but uh <laughs> you know i'm sure they want it to look the same i i suspect if i can tell the difference glancing at it they wouldn't have put it in there so It'll be a good display, I imagine. Yeah, I, I doubt it's that it's like a regression in any kind of a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and then same battery life, which is incredible. That the display is going to be on all day, and it's still going to last you eighteen hours. That that's pretty amazing. I mean, it, it's funny because it's such a small detail. It's like it, they almost didn't hype it up enough. They got more excited about some of the other features and gave some of the previous years they would give, say, internet connectivity. They would give that more time on stage. Than they did the always on display, but to me, this is everything. If you don't see the time when you look at your watch, it's very frustrating. So I think yeah, it's very much not as good as a normal watch. Yeah, and okay. Well, and the other reason this was always a complaint that I, I 
if I'm comparing an Apple Watch to any other watch, and I like I like watches, you know, I like beautiful watches. But even if you have a beautiful face design on the Apple Watch, and what you're actually seeing is a black display, usually what everyone else sees is just a black rectangle on your wrist. No matter how nice the hardware is or your strap or whatever, there's just a big black square, and that's never yeah. beautiful and never competitive with truly well-designed mechanical watches that have you know physical objects that never turn off <laughs> so yeah I, th- I thought it was kind of cool what they I, I looked it up by the way it's it's low temperature polysilicone and oxide hmm, okay. is apparently what it stands for but i saw that they, like so the refresh rate goes down to like one second apparently right mm-hmm. and i thought like oh it could be kind of choppy looking maybe but then i realized the thing that's really only continuously animated is like the second hand and that works pretty well if it refreshes <laughs> at one second yeah, yeah. And i imagine everything else freezes like there are some of those animated faces where if you lift your wrist then you see it start to move and i'm sure they're just not active well it's in the always on uh, dimmer display version yeah it seems like it 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 changes the light watch faces to like sort of inverted black ones as well presumably Mm -hmm. to squeeze a bit yeah i missed that but that that makes sense i was kind of curious about that like they showed that in the uh, by the way all the videos were so beautiful i like if the whole keynote was just Apple commercials and they didn't announce anything, I mean, I just watch all these videos because the cinematography is amazing. The editing, the storytelling of them, they are just at such a high level. I'm always inspired just watching the production of these. And it even makes me curious what is common between them that that keeps them at that level. Is it that uh, the same producer is working on each commercial or like the same <laughs> writing team? Is it all just coming from the same agency? And that's why, what is the common right. thing that is keeping the level so high, even in very different looking videos? Yeah, the the Apple Watch one, like they had like this sort of um, feel good one with about the feedback they got, but like the sort of ad thing with the portal and the oh. transition, I mean, that was mind blowing. Yeah, good. yeah, that was crazy. Oh, I can't. The production of that, I just can't imagine to be extreme. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, they showed what four or five videos today. Those were all in production at the same time for the last few months, with obviously completely different teams in different parts of the country all hacking away at it. And they they really pulled off something special. Same with you know, we'll get to the videos showing off um, the video quality of the iPhone uh, that were sh- mm. shot on the on the soundstage or the back lot or whatever. And those those were really exceptional as well. Yeah. Oh, uh, more with the watches. Titanium finish, which on screen looked basically like the aluminum to me. I, I, I didn't really see the difference. I'm sure it's in person. It looks a little. It looks a little brushy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like the like an old macOS interface. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like that is probably the kind of thing you have to see in person to appreciate or understand. Yeah, and I'm sure it's like also the weight of it would be interesting to feel like mm-hmm. the material. And I do appreciate the differences in the between the steel and the aluminum. I have the aluminum one right now, which I like, but I really like the steel, which I had one, mm-hmm. um, maybe the Series 2. I had um, the stainless steel, and I, I just, I absolutely love that finish. The thing is that I keep having a new watch each year and <laughs> yeah, getting the most expensive one. I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel about this year, too, because like, yeah. like those titanium and ceramic ones, the editions. Mm-hmm. Look really cool, but I know that next year it's going to be like thinner, you know, and different. Oh, yeah, totally. I I had some people because I was live streaming on Instagram during it. I just kind of, you know, said, Hey, anybody come and hang out with me while I watch the feed? And something that uh, people were throwing out there was, When is the circular watch coming? And I didn't even realize this was going around in the, the rumor mill that people are expecting a circular Apple Watch, but. Huh. I don't. I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Just from a design I don't think perspective, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So, but the prices uh, mm. they're the same. I think, which is three ninety nine for GPS and four ninety nine for the GPS and LTE model. Good year for watches. Yep. I'm. I'm extremely excited about this, even though it's going to look the same. Uh, anything else before we move to the fun part? I, I, I really tried to burn through this so we could spend as much time as possible <laughs> talking about phone cameras. Everybody's just thinking, just get to the phones already. Exactly. Uh, I'm I'm one of those people too. I'm pretty excited to chat about the phones. All right. Well, let's let's start slow. The names. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like the naming more than last year. We've got the iPhone 11, iPhone 11 Pro. So far, so good. And then we have the 11 Pro Max. Not yeah. not the best, but not the best. Yeah. I don't I don't know what else they should have done. I don't have a better idea. But uh, 
I mean, it's, I assume it's because they had to hijack Plus for all their services. So that's why they reassigned Plus to be Max on the phones, just to keep the language clear between the, the two of them. But um, anyway, 11, it's easy to tell people about. Everyone understands, and there's no uh, Roman numerals. So Yeah, and it feels like there's just a little bit more parity between them now. With the XR and the XS, it felt a little confusing, I feel, mm-hmm. feel like, or 10R and 10S, sorry for the purists. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, for sure. I think people will also feel much more comfortable buying an 11 because it feels like it is still the flagship. You're not at yeah. all buying the cheaper one. And I tried to push that a lot when I talked about the 10R, which so last year I spent the first half of the year on the 10S. I water damaged it and switched to the 10R and have been very satisfied. I like I really there are differences I can spot, but I didn't feel like I was missing out. I was never frustrated. Um, I, I, they were closer than a lot of people might have thought based on the naming, I think. Yeah, I actually ended up, because, you know, being a developer, I ended up having all the devices, and the 10R ended up being my favorite. I mean, the look was great, the size is pretty perfect, the battery life was honestly amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I have been missing is 3D Touch, so... RIP 3D oh, touch yeah. everywhere. <laughs> I think that's gone now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you going to miss it? Am I the only one? I feel like a lot of people were less in love with it than I was. I use it a lot, and I, I wonder if they're going to improve haptic touch so you miss it less. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's been a little sporadic on the 10R, but now that it's sort of 3D touch is gone on the entire product line, I feel like they're forced to kind of improve it a little bit, maybe, because I used it quite a bit. Yeah. The only place where I hated having it was the sort of overlap on the home screen when you wanted to like move an icon or something, and you would, it would always be stuck between the long press and 3D touch press, Right, and it was just kind of awkward. Yeah, I think everybody knows, Apple knows, that it is worse as an experience. It feels worse to haptic touch than it does to 3D touch, but uh, I'm sure it's just economy of parts, Something about prices, who knows? I mean, I'm sure it was very complicated to have 3D touch in there. It's not as good of an experience. We'll forget it ever existed eventually, but... Yeah, I feel like it won't be, won't be mourned very much, and a lot of people, they did say that the batteries are getting bigger, so it's possible that the, you know taking freeing up some space on the inside might have helped with that. And to be fair, I would probably take more battery over 3D touch myself. Yeah, well. yeah. It, it really is one of those things that, I mean, I've started to forget about it using the 10R as well. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It was it was good. I think it was underrated, but it's gone now. Uh, what else? It, just in phone specs, we've got the A13 Bionic. Looks great. I am not an engineer, so when they tell me processors are good, I usually take their word for it, and then it turns out to be even better than I expected. So, uh, I mean, every year this is this is the most interesting thing about it is that the growth in power is still that exponential feeling that we had in the old desktop days that every year it's twice as fast or 30% faster or whatever. Like the jumps are very significant. You can really feel them much more so than we've been getting on, you know, desktop hardware for the last little while. So I hugely so, yeah. I mean, is there anything about it that uh, stood out to you in terms of some of the specs? I mean, they really broke down some of the individual components that make up the A13 and different ways that neural networking or AI stuff is going to work. Did did that make sense to you at all? Yeah, I mean, we're seeing like just really a heavy focus on making um, machine learning and AI a lot faster and image processing like on the on the chip, which is just super cool stuff. And I feel like even though they talked a lot about in this case, the focus was they brought like the I'm not sure what his title was, but the chip chip guy, mm-hmm. the guy who mm-hmm. works at Apple, and the guy with and, the like, unfortunately sore throat. I was I was proud of him for getting through the whole thing because you could tell he, I feel like he rehearsed a little too much and uh, yeah, was yeah feeling a little scratchy yeah, a little scratchy but really uh, really cool sort of dive into like how they are cleverly engineering the whole chipset to like you know only use certain parts mm-hmm. to save power and such but there's clearly like some big things they put in there that they aren't really even highlighting quite yet and I feel like they're laying the groundwork for you know future features and like the abilities of the phone I mean it's just super capable chipset. Kind of crazy. Was there anything in what he went through that directly applied to the image processing that you can identify what it will do for us or how it will improve things? Uh, it was on the, on the slide, and he so he decided not to focus on it. But you saw that they had made a diagram of like sort of what was all on the die, and a lot of it included like uh, computational literal like computational photography sections on the chipset, 
like HDR and such. It was pretty cool. So that's something I've been trying to understand as this moves forward is what does it actually mean to have a dedicated section for, say, even for image processing? Is it still effectively CPU or GPU? Like it's just processors that are dedicated to this one thing and they are just managing only that task? Or are they fundamentally different kinds of hardware in some way that I don't understand? I think what they're talking about in specific is like an image signal processor. So you basically make it possible to get that raw sensor data off the sensor and very quickly convert it into like usable image data that you can then crunch with your GPU slash CPU, et cetera. Um, I know what they've talked about with smart HDR is that it is attached to the the processor hardware as well as the camera. It's not... It's not all just in that little lens up there. Yep. The ability to extract dynamic range and things comes from how quickly they can analyze the photo and what they're able to do with it. And I mean, I wish I understood it at a deeper level, but it's obviously it's paying off. So yeah, it's some pretty crazy um, stuff. If you look at you know Ben, my partner, who does the like implementation side of our camera app, I mean, you get into some really crazy math <laughs> when it comes to like imaging. It's it's pretty wild. Oh, for sure. I mean, you guys do. must have figured out some some cool stuff once you implemented the smart HDR. Wait, smart raw, smart raw. Yeah, yeah the smart raw yeah. stuff. Because I mean, it, it was just so interesting seeing what raw looked like as soon as smart HDR came out. Because it was like, wait a minute. This isn't a normal raw file. Like, what are they doing here? <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I'm sure you're going to have to relearn it a little bit this year. But yeah, yeah. One of the things that was also showed on their slide of the the chip and like what is on the die was a little tile that said camera fusion. Um, so that's pretty interesting as well. It's something oh. they haven't really gone into much apart from the demo with filmic. We'll get to that later, but. Um, clearly these cameras can work in unison instead of just being three separate cameras to just pump data to the CPU. Yeah, yeah. let's get, let's get that. And you tell me, you explain in a way I can understand because I'm still a bit fuzzy. Let's uh, burn through the rest of the actual phone hardware. Uh, this was really interesting. They're branding the screen as super retina XDR. Uh, I thought it was interesting to so quickly take that XDR branding from their extremely high end expensive display, but it seems to be backed up by the specs. So I missed this during the announcement, but reading on the website afterwards, it does have 800 nits of output when you are, say, like outdoors in the sun. So that's 800 sustained nits of how bright it can be at every single moment. And compared to the Pro Display, that I think does 1,000 sustained, and then go, I might get this wrong, and then I think it goes up to 1,200 peak. So this is 800 sustained and goes up to Oh, wait, I'm reading it. No, this also goes up to 1200 peak, which is crazy Dang. on a phone. Like that's incredibly bright. When you think about that, an old school TV is a hundred nits and a lot of HDR displays are, um, well, so the previous iPhones were 660, I think. So, um, okay. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a pretty big bump then. It's a real jump and they didn't have this selective, um, peak brightness thing. So the idea be- being that if you say point your camera at the sun, the display can, dedicate a little bit more output just to that bright circle to make it actually be brighter. So there is more light being projected from that point of the screen and it'll be 1200 nits, which is really bright. I mean, none of my <laughs> bigger displays do this. My TV doesn't do this. It's it's great. That's yeah, wild. Yeah, it looks like the XDR does 1600 nits at peak. So that's pretty close to uh, oh. what the XDR does. Yeah, and it, it really is much better than my MacBook Pro, uh, which I don't remember what it is, but I think it's a lot less. <laughs> I mean, it's closer to like 500 or less. It's it's not HDR in the same way. So, Because I, I remember get, looking at the HDR of the update with, I think it started with the iPhone X, right? I didn't really see it. Like, it, it didn't jump out to me. So these numbers seem big enough that I, I think it should make a bigger impression. Then they also talked about spatial audio, which I don't think... We're really going to notice. I think it's some sort of software enhanced, like, you know, sort of 3D audio projection stuff, which has existed for a while. It usually kind of works with headphones on. I, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm curious about that, but it seems like something would be very hard to demo yeah, remotely. Exactly. I mean, iPhones just aren't that wide. Um, I, I'm surprised how much I hear the stereo separation on my laptop. That is enough for me to hear it, but I, I never really notice it on the iPhone, even though it is available now. Yeah. We also got okay, so this this was one that I mostly was looking at in reading afterwards. Uh, it was barely addressed on stage, but is the new U1 chip, 
which is their ultra wideband chip. And again, I'm speaking out of my depth, but everybody seems to think this is going to be important. And yeah, it's a, it's it's a brand new chip that will the way that Apple described it on the website is with the U1 chip in iOS 13, you can point your iPhone towards someone else's and your AirDrop will prioritize that device so you can share files faster. And that's just the beginning. So it uses some kind of wideband frequency similar to the really low power Bluetooth stuff, but it uses it to have this really precise location awareness of other devices around it. Uh, and so clearly this is paving the way for their little tag tile tracker thing they want to do someday. Totally. I'm, I'm curious what else it's going to do right now other than AirDrop, which AirDrop is like one of the features that makes me never use an Android phone, so I'm excited for it to be any better. Yeah, I'm sure there's some cool applications to it, but I can't think of many outside of the, like, the place tag thing. Uh, it seems like something that would work with, with AR, right? Yeah. With other people in AR or something. Well, and just, oh, ah, yeah, that's actually like the Harry Potter game or the new... But yeah, I mean, these these AR games where you have other people that kind of exist in the actual world or the new Minecraft as well, being able to pinpoint their actual location in the worlds that you're looking at through your AR screen. Could be a thing, yeah. But that's all that's all speculation, who knows? <laughs> we have no idea. It was definitely a little buried, which is interesting, which you wonder if they maybe punted the the place tags for a longer time or, you know, if they wanted to announce more of what's coming in the future. Who knows? Yeah, or they just couldn't find an exciting enough um, way to pitch it to the to a mainstream audience that by the end they're like, ah, it feels too specific and technical and we don't have a headline feature for what it's going to do. So we'll we'll hold off until the tile thing's ready. Yeah. Uh, longer battery life. This is, I did not expect this to be so significant. Uh, it's a, yeah, this is big. Yeah, like a lot, like a really, really big. <laughs> if if there weren't so many other good, like amazing features, this would be a headline on its own. An extra hour on the iPhone 11 compared to the 10R, four more hours on the 11 Pro, and five more hours on the 11 Pro Max. Four and five hours is huge. <laughs> that's like yeah, that's, that's a whole external battery. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, although I didn't see the actual totals, I wonder how they stack up next to each other. So does that keep the 11 longer than the 11 Pro and the 11 Pro Max? I, I didn't follow up to see That's that. Good question. Yeah, it does go to show that the old 10s 10 power the display is pretty power hungry mm-hmm. i guess and that's probably where they got a lot of savings oh yeah or maybe that's a bit of the 3d touch action going on there oh yeah mm-hmm. who knows <laughs> bigger batteries yeah yeah who knows <laughs> but i who cares i mean it's it's awesome that's gonna make, that's awesome it's gonna make a huge <laughs> difference oh fast charging 30 minutes up to 50 percent oh something includes fast charger what was that the the do the pros include a fast charger? The pros. The pros now get a fast charger, and it's also a little USB-C fast charger, so the other side can now plug into your uh, new new MacBook Pro that we did not get today. Yeah, well, there's there's still lots of fall left, right? But no, I mean, yeah, that's another one of these little details. Like, I feel like there's a good chance we're going to look back on 2019 as a really exceptional group of announcements. Like, everything that's been coming from the Mac Pro announcements to everything we got today and possibly a few more this year if we're lucky. Um, it's just a really great lineup. And there was a few slow years in a row. And now I think a lot of the stuff they're working on is is really paying off. Like d- There's so much stuff here. There's so many good things. It's, <laughs> it's a hell of a really year. Exciting. Yeah, it's a hell of a year. Yeah. Um, quickly looking at the spec pages, it looks like the iPhone 11 Pro is now the one that lasts the longest. So, wow, yeah, that's great. So, that's so, cool. Wow, that's so cool. I, th- by the way, if anyone's wondering, I mean, that's that's what I want. I, I think the one I'm most into right now is the Pro, regular size, and and probably in that green because because it's the new color and it looks looks really nice. Green? I didn't. Did you expect? No, green? I did not expect. Not green. at all. Somebody else <laughs> in my in my live stream though. Somebody else pointed out. Did you notice that everybody's outfits matched the first slides that came up behind them? And I didn't go back and fact check oh. this, but Phil Schiller was definitely wearing a matching green shirt as the green phone appeared. And uh, the woman right before him talking about the 11 camera, she had a, like a, I don't know, it matched as well. So <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah, somebody, somebody's paying attention. Yeah. Uh, surprise and delight. Um, 
more waterproof, slightly more waterproof. I did, as I mentioned, damage <laughs> a 10S last year, so <laughs> every bit of waterproof helps. I wish they would... I suppose you'll be testing oh, that claim. God, I, no, not, not at all, because I still don't trust. I mean, okay, here I've been saying a lot of good things. Here's the only... I would love to get this to a point where they start kind of guaranteeing things a little bit, just saying that it can really go underwater and survive. Uh, I don't know. Having covered by Apple Care would be nice. Like they're they're still very sheepish about how waterproof it is, and they don't want to encourage you to get it wet on purpose. It seems a little odd, right? When they have like it's actual in the promotional videos and on this stage and everything. When you say it can survive for two hours underwater, and then you go to the Apple Store with your claim like it did not survive two hours yeah, well, water and say oh we definitely do not cover water no <laughs> exactly and mine was not two hours at all mine was a couple minutes of, of being wet and not noticing and yeah that was enough another hidden uh, i don't know if it was hidden is probably on the slide behind them somewhere but face id is 30 percent faster i don't remember them saying that yeah and apparently works for from much wider angles yeah which um, will probably have a really big impact i mean if it can be flat on my desk and how does it do right now no it can't be flat on my desk. If it can be flat on my desk and still open, I'd like that. Yeah, I'm seeing it at a, yeah, I don't know what angle though. It's like a 30 degree angle, I think. That's about where it stops working. But yeah, put that to the test reviewers. Yeah, that was the use case that I lost out the most switching from Touch ID, I think, is, is when it's sitting yeah. beside me and I used to be able to just touch it and it would turn on and now I need to actually pick it up. What I'm also worried, like, kind of wondering about is if they'll do the iPad Pro thing where you can just, you know, lie in bed and have your phone 90 degrees rotated and it'll actually still be smart enough to unlock. Right. Just, uh, that's annoying. Yeah, I still get bit by that one. I mean, they didn't mention it, so I'm guessing not, but... Yeah. And then prices... Uh, looks pretty good. The iPhone 11 is a little cheaper than the 10R, which is great news. It's 50 bucks cheaper, 699. And then the uh, 11 Pro starts at 999. With the 10S being taken away out of the lineup, and the 10R still sticking around. Oh yeah, right. Actually, I didn't I didn't notice what disappeared, but yeah, the 10R is a great deal now. I, I forget what it was, but it's lower in a big way. And um, I mean, I, I yeah, what is it? I really like how they've been structuring that overall. Keeping those older phones around has been able to make them just such a good option every year. And it's hard not to recommend anybody that's price sensitive, if they're like, ah, is it really worth it? I can always say, like, just get the old one because it's still great and much cheaper. Yeah, iPhone XR is just a brilliant phone even today. And they're selling it down for $599. Oh, yeah, that's great. 64 gigs, but... This episode is brought to you by Spark Camera. Are you guys as excited as I am about making movies with your brand new iPhone? Even if you're not getting one. I mean, Spark Camera is a great app. You don't need a new iPhone for it. But wow, with the new wide-angle lens, there is going to be so much possible. And I know the guys over at Spark Camera, and they are very innovative fellas. And I happen to know that they've been working on some cool new stuff that will take advantage of all sorts of features of these new phones that are honestly some of the most exciting things I've seen in a long time. But hey, I've got the whole rest of the episode to talk about the phones. Let's talk a little bit more about Spark Camera. It's a very simple app that allows you to make videos and edit them quickly and easily on your phone. In just a few minutes, you can put together a whole story that your friends and family are going to love to see posted to YouTube or to your Instagram stories or an IGTV or whatever it is you like that you don't want to get bogged down in some of the traditional filmmaking tools that, I mean, even Final Cut, for example. I love Final Cut. It's what I used to edit most of my YouTube videos, but it can take a long time. Just the thought process of having all that footage arranged in front of you and infinite possibilities with Spark Camera, you can shoot for the edit. So as you're creating it, you have this direct connection between what you're shooting and how you're going to edit it later. You press and hold to record, you let go to stop, and you drag some sliders around to quickly make an edit. Add music, add voiceover, whatever you want. Spark Camera can do it for you in a very simple way. So if you want to know more about it, go to sparkcamera.com dot com slash stallman or you can also click the link in the show notes and check it out right now thanks again to spark camera for supporting the show all right uh let's talk about the photo camera a little bit the let's talk about the cameras the most visible update is adding a third lens to the pros in ultra wide and well to both i guess because they're adding it to the iphone 11 too <laughs> which uh very interesting that it's the ultra wide that the 11 sees instead of a telephoto that they have Obviously, it means they've changed their perspective a little bit to to prioritize width over telephoto. And I got to say, 
I think that's a wise choice. I think it is more useful in the long run. When I look at my moment lenses, which, uh, you know, they build a great product. Moment lenses are awesome. But I don't use that telephoto lens. I mean, it just never comes out. And I, I don't zoom in nearly as often as I want to go wide. That's why I keep a moment case on my phone a lot of the time is to screw on the wide, ultra-wide lens. It makes a huge difference, so... Yeah, I was a little surprised too, but then seeing it, I, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a, makes a lot of sense. Um, even if you like really look at external lenses now optically, often even just digitally zooming is often better because you don't get all those extra sort of glass elements in the way that can cause chromatic aberration and such. And yeah, it's awesome. You can't computationally <laughs> add more field of view, right? You could potentially throw computational photography exactly. at zooming yeah. to improve your image, but you can hardly like just figure out what the rest of the image would be. Oh yeah, definitely. The only time I found myself really using the zoom and, and it matter, like feeling important is if you're watching a concert and the stage is really brightly lit, mm-hmm. so there's still decent lighting, you're not fighting for a, a faster aperture, and then you zoom in, that sharpens things up a lot. Then I would notice a big difference. Um, that, that that was yeah. the, only, the only time I really appreciated the zoom, and, and other than that, it was that I'd wish for an ultra wide. So uh, I guess my wish came true. I do find that the focal length for portraits is just really nice to use the telephoto. If you've got the space for it, it's just a flattering fifty-two millimeter equivalent. is pretty nice to have. Yeah, it is. So. It, it's true. I find myself I don't end up using portrait mode very often, hmm. probably because I have a bigger camera with me so much, and if I'm if I want to have shallow depth of field, I'm like, well, there's about 50% chance that there will be some issues if I take it on my phone. There'll be some you know, cutting out around the corners that'll look a little weird. So I'll just take it on, on my big camera or shoot it as a regular photo. Yeah, it's just not really quite, quite yeah. really as nice as like a real Yeah, but I think a thing. lot of people don't notice. You know, non-professionals, pff, who cares? Like it, They don't notice the difference and it looks great to them. So. Well, it looks like this year they also improved the telephoto camera a little bit with a larger f2.0 aperture mm-hmm. so the previous one that we have on the 10s right now has a 2.4 aperture um, that's a big difference that's going to so be noticeable very noticeable yeah. and i think in the in the slides they showed one portrait taken with it which didn't have portrait mode at all it was just a natural right. fall off it looked really nice well and they uh, somebody mentioned this on twitter i didn't fact check it maybe you can tell me if i'm right um the ultra wide does have a slower aperture i know that but also that it isn't stabilized either so you, yeah, correct. Yeah, you give up a couple things on that uh, 120 field of view lens. Yeah, but, I mean, you do, really don't. I mean, having shot you know yourself with like ultra wide lenses, you really don't need a super fast aperture or a steadiness because you're so wide that the amount of shake is like that's not, yeah. it's much harder to get. Blurry that's very true. It just becomes less important uh, as you as you get there. One thing I'm trying to figure out. Th- okay, this I, I can't imagine what it's going to do yet. It shows the new camera app interface as having previews of the wider field of view on the sides of the interface. Even when you're using the normal, I got to get the language right on this. So the the, the traditional, always been there lens, 26 millimeters, <laughs> is called the wide. If you're shooting with that, it shows you a preview on the sides of what the ultra wide could give you if you zoomed out. Right? Am I am I saying it right so far? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is it combining two photos for that, or is it showing you the ultra wide lens and then it takes the photo with the wide? Because that could lead to some serious issues. I mean, for example, if there is a smudge on the wide lens, but the preview is using the ultra wide, you wouldn't realize that the lens is dirty. Or just basic parallax that these lenses are in different places, they do see the world slightly differently. And if you, they shouldn't line up perfectly. I mean, I'm sure they can adjust in software, but. Anyway, I, I can't imagine how this is working or how it couldn't potentially have issues. I don't know. Did you look at this? Did you think about this? Yeah, so the interesting thing about the new UI is that, yeah, you can kind of see on the fringes around what a camera chrome is. You can see the wider angle lens footage, quote-unquote, if it's there. Um, it's not blurred out or anything, so it looks like it's completely sharp, which means um, actually being a developer, we kind of got a hint of this when we looked at the APIs because a big thing in iOS 13 was going to be multi-sensor fusion or like multi-sensor capture. Mm-hmm. Um, so these cameras will be able to take photos with all three sensors at the same time, like seamlessly. Um, and pull up, presumably also pull feeds from all three at the same time. So they're probably combining that intelligently. And looking at the interface, it has little sort of crop marks around the edges if you're just in 
the regular wide, the normal view mode. Okay. I there's been some theorizing that it stores the wide like extra data and then after a while throws it away basically. Yeah. So for a temporary amount of time, it will actually have that in there because their new aspect ratio modes are also lossless. So if you Rest in peace, square mode. Oh, um, thank God! Square mode is finally <laughs> it's finally I'm gone. For that. Oh, yeah, I didn't know why it got a tab for so long. But now it has a special aspect ratio thing, and according to some people on Apple's camera team, that is now non-destructive. So if you shoot it with your square aspect That's ratio great. and press crop later, the data will still be there. So presumably, maybe also the wide angle data will be there. Well, yeah, that was something that was floating around as a rumor ahead of time, but I, I didn't see any mention of it. But it seemed like if that's the way it worked, why wouldn't they have showed it off? Because that's, I, knowing that was a rumor, I was getting ready to talk about that a lot. I'm like, this is awesome. If it is actually always capturing the ultra wide when you shoot with the wide, and then you're able later in post to recover, like let's say you need to straighten the horizon and it just has a little more width to it. That'd be amazing. That'd be a really, really powerful feature. And if it does do that, I'm very surprised they didn't highlight it. So I, I don't know. That left that's, This is one of those left more questions than it answered areas. Yeah. Um, it was mentioned in almost every rumor roundup that there was going to be an intelligent multi-sensor fusion thing. The APIs were pointing at it. Mm-hmm. The rumors were pointing at it. It was even like word of a feature that would intelligently kind of recrop your photo in case someone accidentally kind of fell out of exactly, the frame. yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. We will have to take them in our hands and see what's going on there. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's a big one left to be answered. Okay, the other biggest one, I'm going to try not to just talk about this for the whole rest of the episode, <laughs> is Deep Fusion. And Deep Fusion. What is Deep Fusion? And okay, here's here's my big question that I, I would really hope you know because I, I haven't seen any clear answers to it. How is it different from being, okay, for one thing, they've added next-gen smart HDR. That's great. I had all sorts of criticisms of how smart HDR worked, even though it was part of what made the iPhone my favorite camera. It would also destroy photos occasionally when it got things wrong. So I'm very (laughs) happy to see that it's, yeah, it really would cause problems. That was the most, like, that was a lot of the, my favorite reason for highlightism, like, Okay, this smart HDR is crazy. Let's get a raw photo and I can deal with it the way that I want to and know that it's going to turn out perfectly. Maybe, hopefully, they fixed a few of these issues. But what is Deep Fusion then? Is it just smart HDR 3.0? Like, what, what are they talking about? So, my theory, and I've asked a lot of the journalists that are there on the ground at Apple Park today, like to get some background on it, but my theory is that Deep Fusion is that combining of three sensors worth of data and basically treating that on a system level as one image. And then allowing you to crop seamlessly, basically between that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, okay. So nobody talked about it. They just HDR mentioned it as if it was some, is one lens, right? Yeah. So if you if you get an image, just one photo, um, it basically uses smart HDR to combine a bunch of frames from that sensor and make one nice, well, like well lit dynamic range image. Okay. So if Deep Fusion is using multiple cameras, lenses, uh, which that seems. Reasonable, and I think I, th- I thought he kind of hinted at that. Let's assume it does. How does the telephoto play into that? Because isn't it just missing out on a bunch of the frame? Like, why, then why wouldn't the center of the frame become extra extra sharp because it got the extra data from that third camera? But then, not the center is a little softer because uh, that lens wasn't pointed at it. Do, do you know what I mean? Well. Presumably what you would do is like, let's say if you were crop something and it would fall within the square of the wide, not the ultra wide, it would just use the wide data because mm-hmm. yeah, there's a disparity between the detail levels. But then if you were to crop it even tighter, it would sort of seamlessly just only use the data from the um, the area of crop if that falls within the domain of mm-hmm. that one. Um, they give a small shout out to this in the website for the iPhone 11 Pro where there's a tab that says three cameras that don't feel like three cameras, Mm. but they don't use the words deep fusion in there at all. They just say that it took, quote unquote, intense collaboration between the sensor team, the camera software team, and the chip team to make the result a shooting experience unlike any other. So, Hmm, I don't know what that means, but... It's, um, it's, it's, quote, it's like taking raw images from three different cameras and processing them to achieve a consistent look and color, except it happens in a split second. Well, so maybe the fact that Deep Fusion is coming later is tied to that wide-angle cropping thing, and maybe that's when we're going to see those features and they just weren't ready to show off. So in later in the fall, I don't remember if there's a date for that. Maybe they said November. Yeah, who knows? Interesting. 
Um, I mean, okay, and the way this affects me is my favorite video to make every year is my camera review of the new iPhone. Mm-hmm. How many of these do I have to make if I'm waiting for Deep Fusion? Because <laughs> obviously, it's not going to be a complete review if the best feature isn't going to be released till later in the fall. You know, like it, it, it sounds like based on how Phil's talking about it, Deep Fusion could be the thing that propels the iPhone 11 into you know being the standout best phone of 2020. But uh, you know, we're not going to see it for a little while. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think we'll have to see how the Pixel handles this, which is maybe, you know, rumored to be getting a second lens this year. If they're treated as one camera, much like Apple's kind of trying to do with this deep fusion thing, or if they're treating it as like two separate lenses with very separate modes. Hmm. Um, it is, I would imagine, really hard to get consistent white balance and like light, et cetera, between all these different lenses with different f-stops. Yeah, oh, everything about combining cameras. I, I don't understand how it's possible to get any useful information out of it. I could see if they were all... It makes me cringe. Yeah, yeah. If, if there's three of the same camera, the same lens, I can imagine that, but it's it's really technically seems like a, a real marvel if they're able to... Do, well, apparently they are. They, they are confident that they're able to combine them. So Just to give like an example of like how we as developers see that right now, like Apple's the only sort of app that can do this in a camera app where they can switch seamlessly between the two, the telephone or the wide angle lens. If we want to do that, we have to basically reinitiate our camera and get, you know, free up memory, read data from the second feed, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. If what we can now do is basically have three feeds that are always like mm. in check with in terms of white balance and exposure and stuff, that's 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 big. That's a big change. Well and it can clearly do a bunch of additional like multi channel processing stuff just based on some of the demos they gave yeah. the things i've been hearing about what's going to be available in the next in the next developer kit um, it can do a lot it can do a crazy amount so but mm-hmm. uh, i guess we got to keep moving forward uh, night mode night mode this will affect you in some way because you make specter which is the you know the best long exposure app out there yeah although specter is more like for getting a long exposure effect so we don't yet gather uh, extra sort of like light to make Night images look much better. I'm just throwing it out there that I want it to affect Spectre. <laughs> this is a wish list item. <laughs> oh, good, good, good to know. Uh, we might, we might have something in store for that. It's interesting that it's a very different approach to what at least the first iteration of Nightside was like. Nightside really made night into day. Sometimes it was mm-hmm. very bright, and it looks like this. For one, it's not a discrete mode, right? You don't turn on night mode. Great decision. It just works when there's yeah, great decision. It just works when it's just too dark to produce a usable image. And it still looks pretty dark. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I downloaded the sample from the website and took a look at it, which it's not 100% or anything. But the fact that this is Apple's sample photo, they're trying to show it off, it's a little it's pretty soft. Um, I think softer than what the the Google images look like. Definitely softer. So, yeah. we'll we'll see. They're I don't I don't want to judge it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's it, definitely catch up, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, uh, yeah, you're 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 right about it not being quite as bright as well, like a bit more of a natural look. But this was something that I don't think people complained enough about with the Pixel, is switching to night sight was a pain. It was very inconvenient, and uh, using the Pixel. Wait, what's the slow one that I was testing? The Pixel Three. Yeah, the cheap one. Uh, 3A. Oh, the 3A? Sorry, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was 3A. using the 3A. Yep. And because it's a slower processor, which, that's, that, I mean, that's how they got it cheaper. It's reasonable. But that meant that going to Night Sight was a very slow experience. It it degraded the feeling of what it was like to capture anything. And I would miss photos because of it. So I think it's it's absolutely the right thing to just automatically switch when you need to. So glad to see that. Cool little thing that we didn't quite see in the demo, by the way, but you can see in one of the promo videos is when it's active, it'll show you the rough exposure time equivalent that it's capturing light for. So oh, in the demo yeah. video, you saw that at some point it has a five-second equivalent that. exposure. <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, well, I wonder how um, sharp that would be. Maybe that's why the other one was so soft. <laughs> but some other little details. There was high-key portrait mode. I doubt I'll use it much. Uh, I really like the look of the ultra-wide portrait mode, though. Those samples were very beautiful. One of those things that it, it, it's incredibly hard to shoot that with a real camera. Like you need, you know, a 1.4, what's the equivalent? This is like an 18 millimeter lens, right? So it's a 13 millimeter equivalent. Well, it's, it's where do very you, very wide. You couldn't get that. <laughs> I mean, a 1.0, 13 millimeter won't give you that shallow of depth of field. So yeah, I think it's cool. Yeah. It looks really nice. I, I, I like that. It looks a cool. lot. 
Uh, they added portrait mode for pets. Very necessary. Glad that came around. Yeah. Um, given the 10 hours still around, that was one of the things that actually, for, we were su- surprised to find how many people got our highlight update that we added to <laughs> add like portrait mode. Totally. To Just for that. For the 10 hour. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's actually a like the majority of basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, at least they could have a 10 hour around, I guess. Yeah. But it looks like they do it according to Matthew Penzerino of TechCrunch. He said it, it's, it's done with two sensor parallax and improvements to focus pixel coverage. So now they put in the slide that's 100% focal p- focus pixel coverage. That's what we used previously to calculate depth in our app. So, But there was only a couple, so the depth map was very low res. Well, quick um, question so about that. that. They, I, they showed 100% focus pixels quite a few times. And what uh, what exactly does that mean? Does it mean that there is added ability to some of the pixels on the screen? And previously it wasn't all of them, but now all of the pixels have this. Yeah, I don't I have really this ability to detect. Like, um, I, I believe it's I'm not sure if it's phase or contrast detection, but they're able to do like basically resolve differences in the way things are further or closer by simply by virtue of being slightly you know, next to each other. So that little bit of distance creates parallax and it lets them figure out if something is far or close. Right, which is um, kind of, I, pre- I first had it explained for the Canon dual pixel autofocus, which it uses the like lensing of each pixel to see left and right on every single pixel or something like that. So I imagine- Yeah, which is mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely insane, by the way, because like imagine- in a single hair, you know, on your head, you could fit like many photo sites into that. Like it's very yeah, small yeah. distances. Yeah, very cool. I am impressed with technology. Um, <laughs> all right, video camera, uh, front facing 4K with smart HDR is, I think, how they phrased it. Although the videos never, they didn't, I don't know if that is completely right because they didn't brand the video as smart HDR before, did they? I think they called it like extended range. Extended dynamic range or something. I feel like you said there were smart HDR on the front as well. Oh, okay, well, I think so. I mean, it just, was just one, don't use the word. Yeah, don't, don't say the thing that they said. Don't do it. It was one of the best features they. Did. Wait, we're we talking about slow fees. <laughs> oh, you said it. <laughs> um, but so uh, the the smart HDR thing was one of the most underrated, amazing features of of uh, the video last year that I think was. Not talked about enough. I mean, except by me, I talk about it all the time. Because, um, yeah, okay, in photos, it got a lot better, but the dynamic range was already better for photos. It, the jump in video was huge. It added like four stops of dynamic range. It was incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah having it on the selfie camera, that, that is really great. I mean, if you're shooting a vlog, if you were shooting with both, it means that they're going to match a lot better. I'm sure it still won't be as sharp or good in low light, but. Who cares? The dynamic range will make a huge difference. Yeah. And notably, the selfie camera is have, has a wider field of view if you rotate it. Oh, wait. Okay. The, I did not actually understand this. Oh, wait, I'm looking back at my notes because I, I was trying to double check this right before we started because they were not clear enough during the, the keynote. They were like, yeah, if you want to see more, just rotate it sideways. And then I was trying to figure out, does that just mean... Because it's sideways, it is wider or it becomes wider. That's very strange to me. Yeah, because looking at it, looking at my selfie camera right now, I mean, obviously you just get the different. Just, you just rotate the sensor, right? So you don't, you can't zoom out unless there's more data there. Yeah. So presumably, if the face ID works on as a wider field of view, it must have a wider field of view sensor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But so they don't explicitly say that. It's yeah. I don't know. I'm Weird. looking at the <laughs> here. It is in the press release, which is I think a little different language from the product page, the updated true depth camera introduces a new 12 megapixel camera with a wider field of view to capture more in selfies and next generation smart HDR enables more natural looking photos. Hmm. Okay. So I, and the only example is a horizontal selfie video. Yeah. So it is wider, but it's got to be wider all the time. I can't imagine it'd be less wider vertically. But, it's got to be. But yeah. they did show that. I was very confused why they're like, just turn it sideways for a wider... I'm like, why would you... That's weird. You know what? I bet because most selfies, single-person selfies are always you know, portrait mode, um, and you really you don't take a lot of selfies with other people if it's like... And maybe you can even zoom it out in the camera or something, but I bet they're just keeping it punched in, zoomed in a little bit to keep that same sort of expected field of view from the sensor, even yeah, though this, maybe. the lenses look wider. They, they might be doing that, and if they are, I think it's the wrong decision. It's actually something I... did 
preferred about the Pixel is the well, the Pixel Three is the wider field of view on the selfie camera. I think it was a real improvement. Then there was the ultra wide selfie, which is also something that this one is missing. But both of those, that. I think, were really good features. And for normal people, I mean, it's stuff that people are going to use all the time. They're really, really practical features. And I, I think that selfie camera should just get wider and wider. I like, I, I like the width. Yeah, that's one of the things where I'm like, I wonder, like, because our app usually just grabs the raw feed, you know, from the sensor. Like, I'm really curious to see how that compares to like how we get it and how the camera app presents it. Because presumably, they just crop it. Yeah, I think it would also make the quality a bit worse. I'm sure soon you will very clearly understand how this works, but uh, for now, we're <laughs> a little in the dark. Yeah. Um, okay, I'll skip by this Slofi's note I got here. Um, audio zoom. What the um. This is just like in the background. I don't know. It was it was somewhere. It says audio zoom for video. Um, I don't really know what this is, but then when I Googled it, it was interesting because LG had a phone in 2013, the G2, that had audio zoom. And I, I watched a little demo of it. And yeah, as you zoom in and recording video, it would cut some of the ambient noise directly around the camera and isolate the noise that they were zooming in a bit. And it didn't work that great on the LG, but that was six years ago, so... I don't know. It's a strange feature to promote, but it, it exists. Samsung Samsung had it in the latest S10, right? Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't read. I, I don't know. I stopped following the Samsung announcements closely enough. <laughs> I'm a bad tech yeah, reviewer. Samsung and people weren't, like, they were whelmed by it. I think MKBHD was like, I'm not sure if it's just, yeah, it doesn't seem like a revolutionary feature. Yeah, maybe. But, they, hey, it's here now. They just needed to check it off the list or something. Uh, great to see the video editing features in iOS 13. Um, all that stuff is going to be used. I'm going to use it all the time. Cropping, oh, uh, skew, rotating. rotating. Yeah, when you accidentally record in the wrong orientation. Um, I, I mean, it's going to be awesome. I, I really want to see how the image processing stuff actually works, uh, especially the exposure sliders or saturation. They've traditionally been terrible. Mm-hmm. Like For some reason, Apple doesn't want to buy... Visco or whatever, and like just, just give me like good color filters built in. But uh, yeah, you, nope. the exposure slider has always been mediocre. Yeah, yeah. There's also was the very notable Apple re uh, reviving a brand from 1994. Which one? Um, called Qu- Quick Take. Oh, right, right. Yeah, Quick Take Video. Yeah. So if you slide to the right, you go permanently into video mode, and if you slide to the left, it turns into a burst. Apparently, I'm not sure how this would work out intuitively, but uh, that's yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's clever. I mean, I think once you get the hang of it, you might start using it more often. Um, there's, right. there's definitely times I've been scrambling to switch modes, which is why I'm glad to see square mode disappear. Like having so many Ugh. different modes to go through. The worst thing is there's a cost to navigation when you're going to the wrong thing. So hiding a few of those, I think, is very helpful. Smart. There was I, I I had this note somewhere that I lost that said wider panos. I don't remember where I got that, but I know I read that in this press release somewhere, and I don't know what that means. Hmm. But uh, panels are somehow adjusted, and uh, oh, it says it says two times more height yeah. for panos. Okay, what does that mean? Is it because it's using part of the ultra wide as you? Oh, you know that makes sense. So you yeah. you you use the ultra wide so you can make an even more panoramic panorama. That's that's great. I mean, the, and my favorite use of panoramas is to do vertical panoramas, right? Which now yeah. you may not need to as much because of the ultra wide. But if you do an ultra wide vertical panorama, that's going to be really wide. <laughs> you think you should be able to see your own face in it, basically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's actually it's gonna be really cool. Oh, man, there's so many things here that are exciting. Um, the flash is brighter. Oh, yeah, flash is brighter. I don't use the flash too much. So, but for the flashlight, that's great. Could be good. Yep, yep. That's all my notes. What else you got? Um, little tiny things that I really appreciate about the camera. So the UI redesign, it's nice. The camera got a bit less cluttered. There's a bunch of things that I think are kind of like straight out of our app, which is kind of cool. So they they are now doing a custom typeface, which makes it look a bit more like a real camera, which is neat. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that with our app as well. We built like a kind of a custom typeface to make it look real camera e. Oh, wow. um, and like th- there's just fewer icons all over. So like right now if you open up your camera app, you get a row of icons at the top. Yes. That's gone. Uh, you now just have a flash and a live photo icon at the top with a little chevron. And a little if you tap the chevron, your mode switcher gets replaced for all the little icons. So you got like there the timer, your new crop modes so you can select different sort of crops and then you still take photos but 
You don't lose any data. That's nice. I saw a screenshot somewhere that had a colorful filter icon as well. Huh. Is that always Maybe visible? Maybe it was just when it's enabled. I think when it's enabled, it turns colorful. I hope it's just enabled because yeah. it was really, it really stood out a lot. So, <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I saw the, I saw a video from the demo, the hands-on area where it wasn't colorful. So oh, okay. I think that's good, good, good news. Um, but notably, like they really still keep a strong link to like photography and like it's it's actual measurements. So like I, like I said, the night sight mode shows like exposure seconds. If you zoom, if you keep holding to zoom between the lenses, it'll show you the millimeter equivalents for like thirty-five millimeter, millimeter equivalent focal lengths. So the one X being twenty-six, the telephoto, be, uh, the telephoto being fifty, fifty-two, and the super wide being thirteen millimeter. And the same thing we did with portrait. So if you adjust the portrait depth aperture, quote unquote, it'll actually use f-stop numbers, which is pretty cool. You yeah, know, they yeah. could have just made it, they could have just argued, oh, this is for novices, we should just drop all the photographic nomenclature, but this will expose people to the concepts of photography. You know, that's, I respect that. Well, that's also cool. in the language of what the lenses are, I'm glad that they don't call the ultra-wide wide and the other one normal, because yeah. it's not what they are. You know, the, 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 not what they are. the normal lens is just, a regular wide and the ultra wide is ultra wide and uh, telephoto is a bit of a stretch for 50 millimeter, but it, I understand what they're getting at. So I, I think that's yeah. good to train people on standard language. That's something that used to bug me about old Sony cameras. I think they've fixed pretty much all this, but they'd have their own language about what different settings would be. And mm-hmm. it's, it just teaches people weird habits because if they learn on the yeah. one camera that doesn't use standard language, they're not able to move around in the photography world. There's there's a lot of things they still have to elaborate on. I mean, next generation smart HDR is claiming that it does relighting on subjects. Mm. I don't know what that means. Hmm. Sounds It makes me a little queasy thinking yeah. about anything being quote-unquote relit. Well, that um, sounds like the portrait mode studio. What, what was it called? Studio portrait, studio lighting? Studio lighting. Yes. Studio lighting, yeah. Which, but that's not portrait. It though. can't be that. They say that it, it, yeah, it says that it now detects, there's a new, new phase in between that detects the actual semantic mapping, I think it's what they called it. Mm-hmm. So they, they know what the thing is in the photo and they apply different processing based on what they detect in the frame. So a phase gets different. They're presumably also to prevent another selfie gate kind of. There are many times I could see that being very useful <laughs> in, even in the, the way that Smart HDR was revised over the year after the selfie gate thing was, which I for, totally forgot was the thing. Um, even after, <laughs> that was they, a thing. after they fixed that, um, there are definitely still times where I would have a face in the screen and it would like blow out a little piece of the face when clearly that's what should have been exposed correctly. And I, you, I could just tell it wasn't thinking as hard as I wanted it to about how the human should look. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, this honestly, the samples look amazing, especially of the yeah. with the regular wide camera um, and the videos. All of it looks really, really beautiful. And I know we didn't circle back around to the studio shot video stuff. Um, oh, the filmic thing! Oh, wow! Yeah, so good, right? Filmic. It's funny. I don't end up using it very often because I just don't shoot many professional-ish things on my phone. On my phone, I'm using. I'm doing Instagram stories or things that I want to make it really quick and I want to take up a lot of storage. But the things I see people do with Filmic Pro is freaking incredible. Just being able to increase the bit rate so that there's more total data available. Uh, it also, like they introduced a updated log two, which is similar to how you guys did the smart raw feature. It's, mm-hmm. it's intelligent log that takes smart HDR into account because before they had they had a log format in the iPhone 10 but when smart HDR came in it gave so much more dynamic range that you would have more dynamic range using smart HDR than you would with log so they made a new log that apparently used all this data and then you could crank up the amount of data uh, bits per second that were being used by the camera and now you've got this really high quality video and now it seems to be turned up even more. I, I mean, these videos looked perfect. I was amazed. Wow. Yeah, the demo, the, the fact that they could run all the streams from all the cameras at once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah what's Whoa, happening Nelly. there? That's crazy. That's, that was like, a lot of people kind of went over people's heads. Like, no, this is, this is absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even have to choose on which camera you're running. You're just rolling on all three. Telephoto, you're rolling on your wide, you're rolling on your ultra wide. You can just... Captured all at the same time if you want to. That's yeah. 
Yeah, I haven't That's thought of a nice. lot of real practical uses yet, but they'll be out there. I mean, just interview style things. Yeah, stuff stuff will come along with it. Uh, it it will yeah. definitely drive some innovation. So, man, I'm so excited to get this in my hand. I wish I was in San Francisco right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's even worse when you're like watching the event and you're like ten, literally, it was ten minutes north up the road. Yeah, and you know you just can't. Uh, yeah, yeah, can't, yeah, can't use it. All right. Well, there will be much, much more to come. I've got a lot more thoughts of it, and so will you. Where can people follow you to find out more about what you're up to? I'll be probably tweeting about these things uh, incessantly this month uh, at my Twitter account at SDW. Um, we're also at Halide Camera, H A L I D E Camera, um, and obviously as we get closer to it and we find out more about it, our app has a little tech readout section in it, which sometimes, well, often people use to leak the tech specs of the cameras. <laughs> so we're looking forward to that. Oh, I people can't wait. will inevitably send us raw files before the devices are out. We'll start analyzing those, which provided interesting surprises to us last year when we found out how much the processing on the sensor changed like simple raw imagery from the actual final JPEG result. Um, so yeah, definitely uh, check those spots out to read all about stuff as it comes in. Uh, well, come back and tell me more about it then. 